Well, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you uh, sort of live from uh, from different areas of Kentucky, uh, we're getting ready for probably one of my favorite things, uh, one of my favorite moments of the entire year, which is the beginning of the basketball season. And with the beginning of the basketball season, we're turning this into a, a tradition now. Me and my good friend, Case Carrico, are going to get together and we're going to talk about everything you need to know about the basketball season. As always, I am the wise sage with you. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about a lot of fandom stuff in here. And obviously the NBA is a pretty big fandom right now. Uh, I would say almost as popular as it uh, has ever been since uh, Michael Jordan, at least. Seems like there's a new story every week. And when it comes to breaking down what makes the NBA great, NBA predictions, and just talking about the game that I love, there's really no one I like talking about it with more than my good friend Chase. Chase, how are you doing tonight? Hello, everyone. I'm great. I can definitely echo all the same things back to you. I'm happy to be talking basketball with you, recorded or not, but I'm doing great. I'm ready to talk about this. Yeah, and so we, uh, funny, Chase brought up right before we started, he was like, I think we're up to date on all the storylines. I will tell you, this is being recorded on October 21st. So what I'm saying is, you know, Jake will probably put this, you know, on the, uh, on the, on Spotify next week. And if by that time, you know, uh, there's been just all these trades and James Harden has been traded for, you know, something or whatever. We, you know, we're, we're not there yet. Okay. So like, you know, just kind of bear with us. We're going to try and do this, uh, with as much, uh, uh, Nostradamus ability as possible to try and see, uh, where, where all these moving pieces are going. Um, case there's been a lot of moving pieces, man. I mean, can you remember, can you remember a time in basketball? We might have said this last year, but it seems like, Everything's just up in flux. Like, there's, you know, like, I mean, I was listening to uh, the Ringers uh, podcast. Zach Lowe kind of uh, um, echoed this, you know, like, even to the point of, like, people are already going, like, well, when's Embiid going to ask out? Have you, can you remember a time when so many stars have just been, you know, just in, in flux of, like, where their position is in the NBA? No, uh Probably not. And I think it's kind of just the culmination of a whole bunch of things. There seems to be a really big arms race for, you know, the next couple of titles. There are a handful of teams that think they're going to be competing. So they're fighting over these players. Players are oftentimes happily moving towards these teams that have more of a chance to win a title. And then you've got these weird things coming up with the uh, collective bargaining agreement where teams are having to do different things with salaries. They're less willing to make certain deals with players, more willing to make others. Uh, and then, of course, the player empowerment and everything, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it is getting a lot of people, a lot of NBA players wanting to exercise their will, move teams, be where they want to go. Uh, it's something that they're definitely going to be talking about. But, yeah, the NBA is... Uh, the the term flux is very good for that. It's in quite a flux right now, and I don't know if that's going to stop it here in the next foreseeable future. Yeah, I I, I agree with you because I, I do think you know we're we're going to be around December. We're going to be talking about Embiid, and then I, by by the end of the year, you know, we might be talking about Luca, and you know, those are two of the eight best players in the league. I mean, two guys that would swing titles, and uh, I just, I don't know. I can't remember a time. Yeah, I've been watching basketball my entire life, and I can't remember a time where you've had so many 
players on the move, I guess the last time would have been, you know, 2010 and the, and the decision by LeBron and with Chris Bosh going to Miami as well. Uh, but it seems like there's just a lot of players that are in, um, you know, just in really kind of a, a weird position. And I do wonder, so Jason, I'll ask this. I know we want to get into things real quick, but like, you know, there has been some talk, particularly with, with like, with like Lucas situation. Um, and then of course, with like some rookie situations, Anthony Edwards is probably up there as well. Um, about maybe doing something with the collective bargaining agreement or in the, you know, or maybe doing something to fix things so that rookies have to stay uh, in on their team a little longer so that teams have a, have more time to build around them, so to speak. Um, do you think, uh, do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? I wonder how important that is really, because we really see, I mean, rookies are typically, the, the really good ones anyway, the ones that are hits after draft night, they're with their teams for like four to five years, and then almost all of them sign their rookie extension. So you yeah. normally have like a seven-year window for most of these players. Um, at least I would say a four to five-year window typically. Uh, I don't know the youngest player that's ended up asking to move out or anything, but one of those that you said, like Luka Doncic, he – has already signed his extension. He's right. been with the Mavs for a little bit. He's probably about as young as it's been of like a high caliber player yeah. who's trying to move teams. So they definitely gave him, or they definitely had a window with him to try to put something together. Of course, once you make a draft pick and you see that he's the real deal and he's going to be the guy that you count on to take you to the promised land, some teams, especially in the case of Dallas, will accelerate things. They may make some bad decisions that end up kind of backfiring on them and making it more likely that that star wants to leave because the situation's soured. So uh, I don't know how necessary it is because I think it's already kind of built in place. It's one of those that I'd have to wait and see what the idea is. But in general, trying to give teams a little bit more power, a little bit more ability to build around the stars, especially the homegrown stars, the ones that you draft. Uh, it definitely sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah, I think uh, I think the I think the idea is kind of a bad one. And I, I can't remember where I saw it. I might have seen it on might have been seen it on like something like Reddit or something. But like uh but I, you know it, it's one of those ideas where at first I was like, okay maybe but then man if you can't build a team in five years, you know, I mean five years is a pretty long time in the NBA world. Uh, particularly in a, in a in a situation where, to your point, player empowerment era, there's always free agents. You know, there's always people that you can grab. Uh, you know, late first rounders and early second rounders are as powerful a players as they have been, and everybody always has those picks. Um, so, like to me, if you can't build around five, like I mean, Minnesota is is my thing. I can't remember if Edwards assigned his extension or not. I didn't look it up, but like. If you can't build around a player that's of an Anthony Edwards caliber or a Luka Doncic caliber in five years, you probably don't deserve to keep them to begin with. And uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, but, yeah, it, it is interesting um, to, to see everybody kind of on the move and kind of uh, to kind of see where they fall. Um, you know, I mean, that that movement has uh, has kind of benefited you, Chase, and then you know we'll we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, you know, I think uh, I, I know you're pretty excited about your your Celtics team. 
I'm pretty excited about my Lakers team actually for, you know, for just saying something. Cause you know, I've been kind of, kind of a, in a, uh, in a funk with the Lakers for the past couple of years. So, so, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I'm looking forward to talk about that and getting into that. Um, but right now, I, you know, I ask you, you know, this is kind of an, an intro into, you know, where we think the NBA is going this year. Uh, we've done this every, uh, or similar to this every time we've uh, done this podcast. Um, storylines, you know, what storylines do we think uh, are going to dominate or what storylines do we think are we are we interested in? Uh, maybe some like predictions in there. Um, I've got a real fun one to start with. Case, if I can start, do you mind? No, of course. Go ahead. I'm gonna start. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this one, okay? Here here's my first storyline slash prediction. I do think it's a big storyline, particularly uh, uh, with how we're going to see this uh, this season play out. I personally think, okay, that there are going to be two teams in the East that win sixty games, and there are going to be ten teams in the West that win forty five games. That is my first prediction. And I think we're going to see something interesting where there's a cream of the crop in the East. And with, in my opinion, the Celtics and the Bucks, I feel like that's where you're at too. I don't want, I don't want to spoil later podcasts, but I feel like me and you're probably on the same page as those two teams being the top in the East. Um, I, both of those teams seem to have a real spirit around them right now. Both of them have a lot to prove. And I think they're going to come into the season wanting to win as many games as possible. They're not going to want to rest on the laurels, so to speak. Uh, you know, um, both of them are going to want, you know, as much home court as possible, I think. Uh, not even because of home court advantage, just to honestly kind of prove themselves as the, you know, the the butt kickers of the East, so to speak. Conversely, with the West... It's a bunch of teams that, in my opinion, don't really care about their seating. It's like when you look at like, so so the Nuggets, you know, are probably, I mean, I think they're kind of everyone's pick to be number one in the West again, as they should be. You know, they, they're the champions. They've got the best player in the world. Um, they, <coughs> Excuse me. They've got the best player in the world. Um, you know, they've got a lot of interesting young players that I think uh, could step up. Christian uh, uh, Brown, I'm really intrigued to see if he steps in that Bruce Brown role. Um, but like the Lakers, Suns, the Warriors, the Grizzlies, I mean, even the, you know, I'm not how I've, I've got the Clippers outside of the playoffs, but even, even the Clippers, these are teams that just by, by their very makeup don't really seem like they're going to care too much about getting into a good position. I mean, we saw, I mean, last year we saw the Lakers and the Warriors, uh, were the seven and six seed in the semi in the Western semis. The Lakers, of course, played into the playoffs, made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Didn't seem like they didn't lose to Denver because they didn't have home court advantage. So it doesn't seem like they really are all that concerned about it. Uh, so I do think that's going to create an interesting parity around uh, the West. Also, the fact that I just think the West has a, about the West has, in my opinion. 12 teams that can make the playoffs that, that like, that I would say that, that I would say 
like you convinced me they're going to make the playoffs and I wouldn't laugh at you. Maybe even 13 because, you know, I, I was kind of joking before, but I really like Keontae George on the jazz. So, like, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I kind of wonder about, um, you know, about a team like that sneaking in or something, uh, particularly if uh, injuries hit or whatever. So I think there's going to be this interesting parody in the West that I don't think we've ever really seen before. Um, the last time I can remember something like this was in 2001, where I think if I remember correctly in 2001, every single team in the West had won 50 games. Um, I know the Lakers uh, that year, of course, they won. They beat four 50-win teams, only team in, in the history, uh, or uh, that, as far as I know, unless it happened recently. But at that point, the only team in history had ever beat four 50-win teams uh, to win the title. So, you know, that was a time where there was a lot of parity. There was a lot of players, um, a lot of teams that were kind of cresting at that time. Um, and you had a team like the Blazers who were who had made the conference finals the year before. They were the seventh seed that year, uh, even though they were the exact same team. Everything, everybody just got better around them. Um, I think that's going to happen again this year, you know, just with all the movement and everything like that. And I think it's going to create an interesting uh, uh, flux in the Western Conference. I think we're going to see about – I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw seven or six or seven teams at one point, six or seven different teams have the number one seed at some point. And I also want to point out, remember last year, at one point the Pelicans were the number one seed in the West last year, and they didn't even really make the uh, – they didn't even – I mean, they didn't really – they made the play in. So we've already kind of seen some of this happen. Um, so, yeah, that's my first prediction case. What do you think? I think it's pretty spot on. Uh, we I don't think we're going to go through an entire list of every team in the NBA who we think is making the playoffs, where they're going to finish. But yeah, I mean, I really only think there's probably one team in the West that's going to be out of contention pretty early. I, I think the Jazz, like you said, will eventually fall in there just like they did last year. Like the Jazz probably should have made the play in if they wanted to last year. And I think they kind of elected not to. They wanted to see what they had. They had a great year with Mark and a lot of stuff was going well. Uh, but And they fell out at the end. That's probably going to happen with them again. But really, the Trailblazers are the only team that I'm not expecting to at least be capable of 40 wins. You've got a lot of different storylines, like the Houston Rockets, who were one of the worst teams in the league last year. I, they're going to be trying to win. I don't think that team has a ceiling, but it sure does have a floor probably. Same thing when you look at the San Antonio Spurs. Like, I don't think too many people are projecting them to make the playoffs, but they should be a whole bunch better. The The West should be incredibly competitive. I sent you a screenshot of one of the betting apps a few days ago where there are 11 teams in the West who are, quote-unquote, favored to make the playoffs, which, right. of course, is absurd because there's only eight spots for them. Right. So you know some of those teams that are favored to do it, literally three of them at least, have to miss the playoffs. It's kind of wild. And then when I was trying to think of what teams are going to be in the playoffs in the West, there's a big clump. Uh, there's like seven teams probably that I think are in the play-in range. And some of those are going to be top six teams and they're maybe just going to squeak in. Some of those, of course, are going to miss the playoffs entirely. But that one's really competitive. And on the other side, when you look at the East, boy, I mean, it is really stratif stratified. Uh, a few teams up at the top, a few teams in the middle, and then there there is another kind of clump of play-in like teams, but that group is not nearly the caliber of the teams in the West. I think the East play-in 
could be kind of a, a dumpster fire a little bit, whoever comes out of it. Depending on if you get a team like the Miami Heat that do it again, you might have one team that I think is threatening just exactly what they did last year. But the rest of it, it's going to be like cute stories. You it, you can pat yourself on the back that you made the playoffs, but uh, that one's a lot different. I, I think that is very, very top-heavy in the East, and the West is really hard to kind of pick through. So, yeah, no, totally agree with everything you said. It's just really interesting to me because, like, you, to your point, you're, you know, teams, you know, are going to have to get better um, or, or, or are going to be trying. You know, the Rockets have no incentive to tank um, because they that I can't they don't have their their pick next year is given to somebody else. It's a I know it's a top four protected, but what I'm saying is like they don't have any incentive, you know, to tank really unless they just really want to tank and just like you know, have another horrible scene. Doesn't seem like Ime Udoka really wants to do that. Um, and then you got like a team like the Clippers that this is kind of the last hurrah for them. I, I mean, you know, because starting soon, they've got to start giving all their picks to the Thunder because of the Paul George trade. So there's a lot that there's a lot going on in the West. I think this kind of uh, creates this sense of urgency for a lot of these teams. Um and that's a, that's a, even before getting the fact that, you know, this is, you know, LeBron, how many years does he have left? Kevin Durant, how many years does he have left? You know, um, you know, I mean, the the Luka Doncic and the Mavs, I mean, you know, is he going to be okay being out of the playoffs again? Is he going to be okay, you know, being in the play-in? Um, you know, how many years? I mean, Steph Curry is 35, I think, this year. So, like, there's just a lot, there's a lot going on there. That makes me think all these guys are really going to want to try and get as far in the playoffs as they can. Um, so yeah, that's my first. That's my first storyline case. Uh, I, I think I think it's a fun one, uh, one that's definitely I think going to dominate things. So uh, what about you? What do you got right now? Well, I can't, or I don't really have my own prediction to go along with this, but I can share someone else's. But uh, I typed several days ago, actually. Probably the, one of the number one storylines that I want to look at this year, and we're going to really see it at the end of the year, is what is this 65-game minimum for all league awards going to do, um, both for like players that end up missing that cut and don't make those awards, but also just how teams and players kind of manage that, trying to make sure that they hit that threshold. So um, I'll try to be relatively quick on this, but there are so many really, really good players last year that would not have made that cut. Um, I think this one's really sneaky. Luka Doncic would not have made that cut. He played 66 right. games, but one of the things that they have in there is that all your uh, 65 games, you have to play 20-plus minutes in those. And he only had 64 of those, and he doesn't meet any of the given exceptions. So Luka Doncic's first-team All-NBA player last year would not have made it. Jimmy Butler played 64 games. He was second-team All-NBA. Giannis played 63. He was first-team. Jaron Jackson Jr. Jr. played 63. He got Defensive Player of the Year. He would not be eligible for that award this year if he played 63 games. A couple guys that didn't end up getting awards but are uh, certainly talented players. John Morant at 61. He's not going to hit 65 this year, we already know. Uh, Kyrie Irving at 60. And then we got a few more. Damian Lillard had 58. He was third-team All-NBA. Steph, 56, second-team All-NBA. Uh, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Devin Booker, none of them would have hit that threshold. And then another one that I just threw in there for both of us, Alex Caruso played 67, but he didn't. <laughs> he only had 51 
in 20 plus minutes and he was first team all defense. So a guy like Alex Caruso, I definitely, I love that for him that he got first team all defense. You know, he's a fighter. He's that type of player. And to penalize him in that case, again, he played 67. He wouldn't have hit the minutes requirement. And unless they make some kind of uh, modification to it, he wouldn't be eligible for something like that. Uh, And it's notable that Joel Embiid, who won the MVP, only played 66. So he was barely over that mark. So, again, I want to see what teams do and what players do. Uh, I, uh, I'm i not thinking that it's going to result in more injuries, but uh, I see what the NBA is doing. They want a better product. They want their stars playing more games. But I kind of get the feeling that this is just going to be weird and probably a net negative for the NBA in other ways. Uh, so, again, I don't have my own prediction to share with this, but uh, I was listening recently and heard Chris Vernon say he believes – they're going to scrap this rule or at least alter this rule at the end of this year. So I think I saw in the CBA, it's supposed to be in effect for like four or five years and they have an opt out in the last year, but it may backfire so much and they may get so much flack for doing it that they end up just changing it after one. So I just kind of want to follow and see what happens there with those awards and it. Maybe we end up with some weird people on third team all NBA because of it. Yeah, I uh, here's the thing about this rule. I think it's a dumb rule, um, and I'm I think it's a dumb rule because I'm an NBA Darwinist, where it is very rare. You know, there's the the whole reason they did it is because of the resting, you know, the player rest and uh, uh, the load management thing. Other than the Toronto Raptors that wouldn't have won if Kevin Durant hadn't gotten injured. During the load management era, none of those teams, in my opinion, have done that well. I mean, you know, I mean, look at look at load management nets. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that was a that was a that was a that was a miserable experiment. Look at the load management clips now. That's a miserable experiment. Um so like these things tend to work themselves out if you let them. I I I understand the idea is like well, you know, if I pay my money, you know, and, and all of a sudden a player decides he's not going to play um, because he wants to rest, man, those, I mean, those guys tend to, they tend to work themselves out, you know? I mean, personally, I'm okay with the rule because I just feel like, hey, cool, either Jason Tatum or Shea Gilgis Alexander are going to win the MVP this year, and that that's, I'm perfectly fine with either one of those guys winning it. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at on that. Um, but I, I, I kind of agree with, uh, you know, Chris Vernon, I, it's, this is a dumb rule. It's going to get scrapped, particularly with the minutes thing, because like if Alex Caruso can't make the defensive team because he doesn't play 20 minutes in every game, that's just ridiculous. You know, his entire purpose is defense. I mean, Tony Allen probably would have missed some of those defensive teams back then. He's been, he was one of the best defenders of the 21st century. So I just think that, I think that's kind of kind of a dumb kind of a dumb rule case i'm not i'm not a big fan of it um I, I get the reasoning behind it but i just think these things work themselves out yeah absolutely and i mean it's a conversation every year it was a conversation this year like how do we or do we penalize players for missing games because we know even without that rule in place there have been a whole bunch of people who did not make all nba teams because of games missed One example, last year, the rule wasn't in effect. Devin Booker absolutely would have been first-team All-NBA if he played 68 games instead of 53. He would have been one of those All-NBA teams. Maybe first-team, maybe second-team, but I'd say one of those two. 
He just didn't play enough games, and the voters decided to reward players that played more. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. I think if you want to kind of take that out of the voters' hands, you could make a rule about it, but it doesn't need to be this restrictive. I mean, if you're out for a month with a shoulder injury or you have two ankle sprains that make you miss 10, 15 games or something, like those types of things can really backfire. So if they made it like a 50-game a minimum just to be like, okay, you have to at least play like a little bit over half the season to be eligible for these awards and just make it a little bit easier on the voters. Sure. But this is a pretty restrictive rule, especially as you said, with the minutes on top of it. And people have said that's to try to make sure that people don't check in and play like two possessions and check out just so that they get a game accrued. But yeah, I mean, it, I kind of feel like it's going to backfire as well. It's not going to be very popular. And I, I'm interested to see again, how that hap- how that works out throughout the season and after the season. Yeah. Also, I feel like, I mean, to me, the, the, the number to, if, if you're going to do this, I thought the number was 55, um, 55 makes the most sense. Um, to me, um, if you're, if you're playing in 55 games and you're a dominant player in 55 games, you deserve to be considered uh, for, for some of this stuff. And then like with Luca, like you say, and him not making it like, cause he had a game where he was only 20 minutes. Well, here's the other thing with Luke. I bet he's playing. I, I'm not going to look it up, but I bet he's playing between 36 and 40 minutes every single night. There's no one else on that team last year. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a weird penalty. It is. It's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird penalty case. I, I, uh, yeah, I, but I do think, you know, I think you're right to bring it up. Cause I do think it's going to be something that we're just going to talk about all year long and we'll probably be sick of it by all-star break. I imagine Did they, yeah, I've that I'll ask you that they, did they do anything about All-Stars then? No, uh, I don't believe it has anything to do with All-Star. I know that would be a little bit difficult. I guess you could assign a percentage to it, but some teams don't play the same number of games pre and post All-Star. And, uh, of course, it's not out of 82 and different things. So right. uh, that might that would be more difficult. But, no, the only thing is it's uh, like MVP and All-League War. So ba- is, my understanding is it's, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, All NBA, and All Defense, basically. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Kind of a weird, kind of a weird rule. We'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, Chase, can I talk to you about the rookies this year? You can talk to me about rookies all you want. You know I'm excited about the rookie class this year. I've talked to you. I've talked to you basically since the draft. So, I mean, really before draft night, how excited I were about some of these rookies. Um, it's weird because KLC uh, Kevin O'Connor uh, was talking about how the early kind of the early predictionist draft as that was that you know it was a two person draft between Scoot and uh, obviously Victor Wembanyama um, and then summer league happened and in my opinion like this was the this was the year i don't know maybe it's because i was watching it too um but it seemed like more people talk about summer league this year than they have in i just it seemed like such a long time because you had so many players uh, in summer league this year that um you had a bunch of second year players that were really stepping up um someone like someone like max christie on the lakers you know, was a dominant force in summer league, which you just love to see. Um, and then you, but you also had all these weird rookies that came out and were just going hard in the summer league. 
and we ended up seeing a bunch of people, a bunch of rookies that I've I was very high on. Um, and now with the preseason, we've seen a bunch of them, you know, really show in the preseason. I've got 13 rookies I really like. And Chase, here's the thing: I've I've already get, I've got a prediction for my rookie first team, rookie second team. I'm gonna go and give it to you. You didn't ask for it, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Um, my rookie first team looks like Wimbenyama, Scoot Henderson, Bilal Kulabali. You know I'm a big fan of him. Chet Holmgren and and Asar Thompson. So that's the Thompson that uh, the Pistons took. And then my second team is Cason uh, Wallace, uh, Jarris Walker, Keontae George, Amon Thompson, and Cam Whitmore. Uh, Whitmore is kind of interesting because you know what's interesting about Whitmore is I even texted you you know during the summer league he had like he put together like three straight games where he looked like one of the most dominant players on the face of the planet, and he just hasn't really you know because he's not playing him in the preseason really isn't playing him much in the preseason. I'm kind of. Uh, I, I'm 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 putting that on there because I really like him as a as a rookie, but I, he might not get the minutes to pull that off. And then I've got three more that I just I really think are solid players. Um, I, a lot of people are talking about how they don't like Jet Howard. I think Jet Howard, at the very least, his floor is Bones Holland. Um, and like I, know, I understand, like Bones might not be a winning player, but he's kind of in that. You know, hey, if he's your eighth guy, you know, and you can bring him off the bench and you know have him just like get get it, you know, excitement and get get some you know weird isolation points and you know do something stupid that somehow works out. He's kind of in that in that role, I think. Um, and then also like Taylor Hendricks, uh, also uh, you know uh, play you know two two guys uh, that were drafted by the Magic. I really I like him. And um, and then Jaime Yasquez, I might not be saying that last name correctly, but uh, that's who, Jaime Hawkes. Hawkes, okay, all right. Um, I, you know, drafted by the Heat, uh, projects to be like this kind of silky smooth, you know, six foot seven, the six foot nine forward, step out, hit a three, but also can put the ball on the floor. I, I you know. I didn't know much about him before the draft, uh, but he he's looked really good. I, I mean, he's had, he's had some moments. Um, I just really like these rookies, and I really do think, you know, we're we're looking at a, a group of rookies that, um, you know, whatever you want to say about AAU ball and whatever you want to say about the G League, you're looking at a group of rookies that, for the first time in a long time there's a group of rookies that their entire purpose was how can I make my game NBA ready? Um, and that's one of the things I think that hurts, you know, I, I don't want to back the NCAA, you know, too much, but like, you know, Reddick on his podcast was talking about the fact that, Hey, they've been running the same sets on the NCAA since the seventies, you know, and the NBA has evolved quite a bit. And that's I think that's why a lot of these players get to the NBA and they don't really seem like they know what they're doing. I mean, my favorite example is Adam Morrison, who I thought was a dominant player in Gonzaga, and he got to the NBA and just didn't really, you know, didn't really know how to adjust. Um, you've got players now that because of the fact that some of them are have been pros since they were 15 overseas, or because of the fact that they go into the G League at age 17, um, or because of the fact they play for forward-thinking uh, coaches in the NCAA, they just are ready when they step onto the floor. I mean, Case and Wallace, you know, during the Chet Holmgren uh, 
Victor Wimbanyama showdown in preseason, Casey Wallace had four steals in that game. He had four steals in that game. Like he looked like he looked like young Kawhi, you know, going after people. Now I'm not saying that's what he's going to project as, but I'm just saying, you know, he's a guy that stepped onto the floor and was playing with professional players at a high level. Um, and all these all these players have done that so far. Uh, so yeah, I'm really high on these guys, Case. Uh, you know, I know, I know. You know, I've been, I've been throwing, uh, you know, TikTok clips at you, and throwing, you know, uh, Instagram clips at you, and and you know, giving you stat lines basically all summer and during the preseason. You know, I know you don't keep up with as much as I do, but is there did any rookie stand out to you? Yeah, I was gonna say I, I just freely admit I, I do like college basketball. I watch a decent amount of it, but the vast majority of it is Kentucky basketball. So I know Casey Wallace quite well. I really like his game and I think he's gonna be a really high floor player in the NBA. Um of course the guys at the top, uh listening to a bunch of NBA podcasts and watching a little bit, watching some of the videos that you send me, I know some of them fairly well, but really my knowledge is not nearly as deep as yours is right now on these rookies. Uh, some of it, some of the stuff that I know, I learned just by talking with you. So I, I'm not going to come out with some kind of hot take of a rookie that I'm really into. I, I know these guys at the top, but I definitely, for several reasons, agree with you that it's a really interesting class, and I'm ready to see how they kind of unfold. I mean, we've got Wimby up at the top, who, I mean— We've overused the phrase best prospect since LeBron. We've, I mean, how many of those have there been? Like 15 of those since LeBron. Yeah. So it gets overused, but he he really might live up to that hype. People are really excited for him. Uh, so when you have someone like that at the top, but then it actually seems to, it, it's early. I don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, but uh, it seems like a deep class. Like there could be, 2025 20, solid players that come out of this draft. There are some in the second round that people are interested in. And uh, like, I love, you're the only person I know personally that already has a second all rookie team. But I love that. That's awesome. And it's really exciting. So I hope to see how those unveil. The only other thing that I'll throw out there, I don't like how bad some of these teams have been because some of these teams, uh, it frustrates me because I worry that good quality players aren't going to get their chance. Like, Kaysen Wallace is, I think he's going to play, but he's really got to fight for playing time on a team like the Thunder. They already have so many prospects, and they, of course, have a bajillion draft picks. Same thing with, like, the Houston Rockets. They've been making so many picks, and they have so many projects and prospects that they basically gave Ty Ty Washington away for nothing. I think he can be a good NBA player. Uh, he barely got to play, and then they just kind of ditched him. And I worry about that with some of these guys like Whitmore and Amin Thompson. Like, they're going to play, but I really hope that they get a solid chance um, with some of these teams that have been bottom-feeding for so long. Yeah, I, so, I mean, Wimby's going to start. Scoot's going to start. Chet's going to start. Um, it's really looking like Asar is probably going to start uh, over Jaden Ivey, which I think is – which I think actually brings into – which I think is kind of a reverse of what you just said, because I really feel like Jay Nivey kind of deserves the second shot. Like he wasn't great last year, um, but he was definitely, you know, he definitely had his moments and I really kind of wanted to see like what he could turn into. Um, and then, I, you know, uh, Garris Walker looks like he's going to 
at the very least, like be fighting for a starting position. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I do think there's some players that, uh, that, you know, could get hurt. I mean, the real, the, like, you know, Taylor Hendricks, you know, trying to play behind, uh, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And, uh, Paolo is probably going to be interesting as well. Um, but, uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I just like, I like all these guys chase. I really do. They're all dogs. I mean, like every one of them is like, there's like, you know, there's like every year there's like players where, um, you know, like they'll, they'll, they'll get drafted and then like Jay Billis will be like, uh, really, really kind of wondering about, you know, uh, his work ethic or, you know, his love for the game. No one says that about any of these players, like not a one of them. And even someone like, like Chet Holmgren, who, you know, like kind of came in with this preseason and I don't know how much of him you've watched, but kind of like had a chip on his shoulder almost like, you know, like you forgot about me kind of thing. Like this, this, this French kid came in and you forgot about me. I was, I was the original version of this. And I don't know. I just, I'm really, really intrigued to where this goes. Last thing I'll say uh, is uh, Jordan Poole needs to get out of Bilal Kalabali's way uh, and let him take over that team. Um, because that, that guy is going to be something special. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it. This is my, this, this is, that is my hot take. He, he, I don't think I won rookie year this year, but like, you're going to see some pretty freaky stuff out of that dude. Um, and uh, I'm I'm really, uh, really excited to see where he goes. And I'm excited kind of for Wizards fans. They finally got a player that I really think they can kind of, you know, coalesce behind because I, it's nothing against Kyle Kuzma, but it's really difficult to be like, this is our guy, you know, if it's Kyle Kuzma. And I think uh, Kulabali can be that guy. Um, anything else you want to say about the rookies, Chase? No, but that uh, Koulibaly content is definitely what everybody came for. Anybody listening to this podcast <laughs> is coming here for that take from you. So well done. He's hot right now, man. I'm telling you, like, you know, he was he he had a clip where he was talking about the fact he doesn't have a driver's license yet, so he has to get his uh, teammates to pick him up. I mean, he I'm telling you, he's 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 going to be a beloved figure by the end of this year. Okay, just he just is. All right, uh, next prediction from you, Chase. What you got? All right, so the other storyline that I want to follow, um, out of all of them that I could have picked from, one of them that I just kind of want to know the answer to right now is how does the NBA 2K My GM Phoenix Suns work out? As they bring in all these players, um, <laughs> first, of course, they have Booker, they bring in KD, now they bring in Bradley Beal, they're making other trades, and famously they have these three max players and then like a fairly big contract and use of Nurkic, then basically everybody else makes the minimum. So um, just how is that going to play out? Who's going to be the fifth starter? Uh, That one is interesting to me. They probably know, but I kind of went through their preseason games and pretty much every game they were missing one to two players that I figured would start. So it was really hard to see if there's any inkling there of who their fifth starter is going to be. Uh, and they, they've really got like 12 guys that you could see trying to push for minutes. And probably most of them are going to be playing a little bit in the regular season. There are going to be injuries and rest nights and whatever you may have. So it may work out somewhat organically. But then, assuming they make the playoffs, how's that going to work? So, I mean, I, I'm assuming they're going to be starting Beal, Booker, Durant, and Nurkic probably when they're all healthy. And then you've got... The rest of these guys, Grayson Allen, Eric Gordon, Josh Okogie, Drew Eubanks, Nasir Little, 
Damian Lee, Keita Bates-Diop, Bobo, Utah Watanabe, and Chemezi Metu, I think is how you say that. Um, all of them have a track record that indicates that they could put up minutes for the Suns, and I just want to see how it works out. There are probably four or so of those that I assume are going to be in the rotation nightly, and then there's another handful, four or five, that uh, we'll just see if they get their chance to kind of step up. Is that going to be enough? Because uh, that that team on paper, uh, and we talk about teams on paper all the time, uh, a lot of the time the team on paper is not what ends up on the court. The best team on paper is not the team that ends up winning. But it, it's a really fascinating idea to put three really, really high-caliber players like them. I mean, they're one of maybe four or five teams that can boast that they have two top 15 players, and then they've got another one in Beal who's very good in his own right. Uh, how are they going to be able to work that around? And then is that a team that is a contender or are they a pretender at that point? Because depth, among other things, is going to be a real question mark for them. Um, I will, you know, I'm really kind of down on the sun. I mean, um, I, so there's, there's a, there's a certain humor that I think we're missing out on when we talk about the Suns, a team that got absolutely shredded by Jokic last year and decided that what they would do is trade for use of Nurkic. And I don't think that's really getting the, the commentary it deserves. I don't have anything against use of Nurkic. I, I'm a use of Nurkic defender. I think he's a perfectly viable center. Um, I think if you're a team that is wanting to beat the Nuggets, you have to figure out. I mean, just case in point, like we'll, we'll you know, because I feel like I'll go and tell you the Suns are not. I'm. This is the last time I'm talking about the Suns for the podcast because they're not in my. I don't think they have a shot at the championship, um, and I really, I'm, I'm really kind of down on them. But like, if you look at what the Suns did, which is essentially their centers now are. I mean, is you? Is, I guess Eubanks the center. So like, Eubanks, uh, Nurkic, and I guess Bol Bol. And like, you compare that to what the Lakers did, which was re-sign Jared Vanderbilt, add Jackson Hayes, and add Christian Wood. Who, once again, not high on Christian Wood, um, but like, there's 18 fouls that you can use on Jokic right there. Um. Therein, to me, lies a difference, you know, if, if like how, because like the the title in the West goes through Nikola Jokic. So if teams aren't deciding or aren't trying to figure out how are we going to game plan for this guy, if the game plan is just, well, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are going to score a lot and now Bradley Bill's going to score a lot, well, I mean, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Like, Cause like, I, I mean, I feel like against the Nuggets, like someone like Kamal Murray is going to have like 40 points a game. Cause I don't know. I don't, you know, Booker's a good defender, a really a, a good to great defender. When he wants to be bills a minus really. And I don't know where Durant is. Uh, you know, Durant turned the Nets defense around last year at one point. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't, I wasn't particularly impressed with him in the playoffs. 
So it's just, it's just a weird team to me, Chase. Like, it's, it's a strange thing. You, you When you call it 2K team, you're right, because it's like, it's something you would do, you know, during during franchise mode in 2K where you're like, well, yeah, I'll see if I can get Bill for a first-round pick, you know, and see if I can pull that off and if the computer lets me do it, and somehow it does. Um, I just, I don't know if it's how you build a team anymore. Yeah, I mean, it is purely a, a thought experiment that is being played out in front of our eyes. It, it's hard to see. Uh, it, you make a perfectly fair point about it. It's kind of strange that they didn't really make their front court any better. I don't think this year. Um, so, I mean, it's tough when you think, presumably, if you're going to win a title and you're coming out of the West in particular, you're going to have to beat the Denver Nuggets. It's pretty unlikely that somebody's going to do it for you, so they should be preparing to do that. And it does seem that they maybe decided, well, we couldn't stop them last year. We're not going to stop them this year. Let's just try to outscore them. And I mean, I do know the Phoenix Suns won more games against the Nuggets than anybody else. Um, in fact, they the, the Nuggets lost four games in the playoffs last year, I believe, so half of them were the Phoenix Suns. But my goodness, I mean, Booker and Durant, we know they're good, but they played near their ceilings in those two wins. Like, those are two teammates playing almost as perfectly as you can, and they ended up being pretty competitive games that they managed to win. They know they were not going to be able to do that four times in seven games. So, I mean, you you raise your offensive floor a little bit uh, with the – theoretical that Beal, Booker, and KD are all going to be healthy by the playoffs. Uh, you've got those three guys who could all score 30 at any given time, so maybe they are going to just be able to outscore them, but it's very strange. I don't know that I think it's going to work out. I will push back. Um, so I think that's the hottest take that you've had so far when you say that you're not going to be talking about the Suns again. So they're, they're just entirely out of your realm of contenders. I do feel like I have to put them there just because of how good Booker and Durant are particularly. Because, I mean, they made the second round last year and won two games on the Nuggets and theoretically maybe got better. I don't know if they did, but they may have. They probably think that they got better. So uh, I, I do think that you have to, at least I have to consider them as potential contenders, but I, I think they're still demonstrably behind the Nuggets in that race. Uh, it, you know, we'll just see. I mean, it, it's not like 2K, again, to use that metaphor, where you can just simulate it and be like, oh, wow, 40% uh, of the time in this simulation, Booker, KD, and Beal combine for 95 points, and they end up winning the series 4-3 to three or something. But uh, it's going to be tough. That's just a team that I want to watch, because uh, it's not something that I can think that we've really seen before. Like we've had big threes, of course, but those big threes were they, the teams managed to have a cohesive unit around them and not just like bandages everywhere all over the rest of the roster, which is for the most part how I view that roster. Yeah, I've uh, I've got them third in the West. I, I know it's hot takes. They're not contenders. I don't think they're making it out of the second round. Um, I'm not totally sure who's healthy by the time the playoffs come around. You're relying on Bradley Bill, who last played 70 games, I think, three years ago. Um, Kevin Durant hasn't been healthy the past two years. Uh, and then also, but I mean, yeah, I think I think they'll be fine in the regular season because they're going to feast on a lot of teams. But once again, Case, it's 
getting down the it's that seven game series, you know, and you're and you're right. They had two fantastic games against the Nuggets. And then what happened when Devin Booker had a bad game? They lost badly. And so, you know, the other teams are built the other teams of the West are built around maybe not the Nuggets, but the the other teams of the West that are contenders are built around the idea of like LeBron ain't got it, you know, we can figure something out. You know, if Steph ain't got it, you know, we can figure something out. Um, the Suns aren't built that way. You know, if, if Kevin Durant ain't got it, Josh Okogie ain't stepping up. So, you know, nothing against Josh Okogie, who I actually like. I'm just saying that, that's that's a that's a thing that's just not going to happen. So I'll give you last word on the Suns, Chase. Well, actually, I don't know. You might have him later on, but last word for now. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about them later on. They are in my, like, late list of contenders. I mean... I, they're definitely not in my first ring of contenders, but uh, I'll talk about them more. I, I think I'll just wait until we get to them a little bit, but I probably said most everything I got on them for right now. Sounds good. Well, I'll tell you what, at this point then, uh, what we'll do is we're going to move right into our West and East predictions. Um, so basically what we do here is I picked, uh, me and Chase both picked four teams that we think are contenders in each conference. And then we each picked a wild card team for each conference as well. Um, so, Chase, you want to do the West or the East first? Uh, this is a home court for you, so I'll let you pick. I'm good either way. We'll get to both of them. Let's do, um, let's do the East first. Let's do that. Okay, so... Um, so let's just stop stop me when you disagree. Okay? Let's do it that way. Okay. And then we'll go back and we'll discuss each team. You got the Celtics? Yes, I do. You got the Bucks? Yep. You got the Heat? <laughs> like we said, after the Bucks, it is tough for me in the East, but yes, I do have the Heat. And then here's one where I think we're going to disagree. I have the Knicks. I bet you have the Cavs. Oh, you got me right. I really struggled between that number four spot. It was going to be Cavs or Knicks, and I ended up going Cavs, yes. So I think uh, – so, so let's talk about the Cavs. I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll start there. We'll start with we'll start with the Cavs and the Knicks, then we'll just do the rest of the teams. This is one we're disagreeing on, and I do think it's interesting because – I've actually got the I've got the Cavs in my standings above the Knicks, but mm-hmm. I think the Knicks are better built for the playoffs. Um, whereas the Cavs seem like they're going to be a team that you can get away with the fact that Jared Allen and Evan Tur- Evan Turner, good lord, Evan Mobley, <laughs> Evan Turner, Evan Turner, I miss Evan Turner actually. Uh, I like him. with the fact that Jared Allen and Evan Mobley can't hit a shot past five feet in the season you know you can get away with that but teams focus on that in the playoffs we saw the Knicks do exactly that um so what do you see different about the Cavs this year or or I mean are you just do you think they're gonna have more playoff success or you think they're gonna be a first round flame out what do you think yeah so I actually I agree with pretty well everything you said I actually maybe even think that the Knicks are a little bit more built for the playoffs. I mean, the Knicks beat the Cavs last year. Both teams were relatively healthy that I recall. So, I mean, I think they just got outplayed. They got worked. 
And I don't know that that's necessarily going to be different. I think the Cavs got closer to the Knicks theoretically this offseason. Um, but here's how I did this. Like I said, uh, it's it's the Celtics and the Bucks, and then I don't. I mean, I don't think there are contenders in the East outside of those two teams, to be honest. I mean, the Heat, I don't want to ever count out. So that's why I had the Heat three. But then, yeah, I mean, I don't think there are any true contenders after that. So uh, have at that as you will. So what I did was I said, let's just say something horrendous happens to the Celtics and the Bucks somehow. If you just drop those teams out. Neither one of them are making the finals. Who in the world is making it out of the East? I think the Cavs are going to have a monster regular season because they were really good last year in the they regular were. season. And I think they're better. I really like the addition of Max Struess, and I might be overplaying that a little bit in my head, but I think that's going to solve some of their issues. They still have the problem that Mobley and Allen is – while it's a, a really nice thing to have on defense, it's clunky as hell on offense. And uh, neither one of them rebounded all that well. And Max Struess isn't going to help your def- uh, your rebounding a whole bunch, but he's going to help their spacing on offense so tremendously well that I think that's going to uh, give them, like, I, I will not be surprised if the Cavs are right on the heels of the Celtics and the Bucks in regular season standings. They're my favorite to get the three seed this year. Uh, and I mean, like weird things could happen. They could be a one or a two. I think that's much more likely for them than it is for New York. So that's where I kind of made my tiebreaker there um, with them over New York is that I think they're going to have sig- possibly significantly better standings and an easier path throughout the playoffs. Uh, I think they're going to improve and be an awesome regular season team. I mean, they could have 55 wins. I would not be shocked to that whatsoever. Uh, so, so that's kind of my take on the Cavs. They're a great defense. Um, I, I feel like Donovan Mitchell has been getting trash talked a little bit lately. I don't even consider myself that much of a Donovan Mitchell fan or believer relative to what I've seen his entire career, but I I think he's getting a little bit too much, uh, slack, uh, slack maybe isn't the word, but people are kind of going at him unfairly. I think he, uh, Maybe he didn't have the best playoff performance this past year, but we know he's a playoff performer, and he definitely had moments even in that horrible series against the Knicks. So I think that's a team that has an incredibly high floor, a decent ceiling. They're not a true contender for me, but they're they're about the best the East has right now. Yeah, I I I like the Cavs. Um, I like the players on the Cavs. Really like Jared Allen. Really like Evan Mobley. Uh, I am a Donovan Mitchell fan. Um, you know, I really like Darius Garland. I think Max Struess is a extremely underrated pickup because at the very least, one of the issues they had last year is there's no bailout for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell once they get into the paint. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like Darius Garland, you know, would would break down, you know, let's say Jalen Brunson or whatever, and he's surrounded all of a sudden by Mitch Robinson and RJ Barrett, and there's no corner three guy to bail him out. And Max Struess kind of fixes that. Um, so I, I think that's an underrated pickup. What's not underrated though, is this, I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell needs to be, you know, kind of trash talked, but Josh Hart and Emmanuel quickly shut him down at several points last year. And really not just him. I, like I said, they, they had a good game plan for stopping Mitchell because once again, it goes back to, it's almost like watching play go bear again, because 
they just run him right into Mitchell Robinson. And, you know, Mitchell's great, but against three long-armed guys, you know, against three-plus defenders, it's very difficult for him. And then, of course, at the same time he's doing that, Jalen Brunson's turning into the biggest New York folk hero since Bernard King. So it's like it's really a it's it's a it was a it was a bad optic, and I can't get it out of my head, which is why I kind of have the Knicks above them. I've got the Cavs over them in the regular season. I've got them in the third seed, like you do, but I just feel like the Knicks, when it comes down to a playoff series, if it's if it's if it's somehow Cavs and Knicks again, I just don't feel like the Cavs can beat the Knicks four games out of seven. There's a lot to that. I think, you know, we've talked about home court advantage not mattering that much. One of the only home court advantages I think that does matter is Master Square Garden in the playoffs. Um, I just think the Knicks have a team full of players um, that Tom Thibodeau, uh, who I I think the Knicks would have a higher ceiling if they got rid of him, but <clears throat> but they've got a team full of players that are going to be ready to go out there and get in your face and disrupt your offense. Um, and I just, I don't know. I like them. You know, I just, I, I, I like what the Knicks have done. The one thing that shocks me about that, that, that surprised me about the Knicks, and we can talk about this as the Cavs too. Are there trades for both of these teams that are out there that can push them into a, like the third contender status chase? As there, as there, because like, <coughs> excuse me, with the Cavs, I mean, it seems clear to me that a lot of people believe that Jared Allen uh, needs to be traded so that uh, Mobley could step into that center role. You know, what do you think? Are there trades out there that can make these teams better? I, I don't always have the best trade brain in the way, like, I, I don't know what player is available that they're going to, that would make them significantly better. Uh, I think one of the things that the Cavs would be banking on if they're going to say that they are the fourth best contender in the East is that Evan Mobley is going to take a step up. He's going to be able to, I mean, he's already a great defender, but hopefully take a few steps up on offense. And maybe part of that will be with the spacing that Struess is, they're hoping, going to provide for him. Uh, But then, yeah, I mean, if they really, really want to be a contender, it does feel like they either need to straight up trade Jared Allen or maybe even in the playoffs move him to a bench role and try to stagger his minutes away from Mobley's uh, just to be a little bit more of a modern team because they seem to have weaknesses there. Uh, they, they need more shooting. I mean, their thing last year, like you said, they didn't really have a corner shooter. Isaac Okoro was uh, just really hard to count on. And when they kick it to him... I heard on some podcasts, I want to say it was Zach Lowe, where they were talking about the difference between the space between the defender and Okoro versus the space between uh, the defender and Struess. And it was just a massive gap. So hopefully they're wanting to change some stuff there. But when you have three non-shooters to medium shooters, I mean, Mobley has a little bit of a touch and he can stretch it out a little bit. Again, Okoro will try to keep a defense honest, but they really three through five didn't have shooters and that's tough. So, I mean, if they could find some kind of big man who can play more of a stretch four role, ironically, I I don't know if it was a chemistry thing or what, but one of the better uh, candidates for that that comes to mind immediately is Kevin Love. Like that dude, he can stretch the floor. 
he's really smart. No, he's not the best defender out there, but that's what you theoretically have Evan Mobley for. So, I mean, if they just held on to him and helped him find the right role, because, I mean, he went to that stupid Miami team and helped them a little bit because he can give you manageable playoff minutes. He's a good shooter. He's not going to get absolutely burnt to a crisp on defense. He's a great passer from that position. And again, he's just smart. He knows how to play within himself and within a team. Uh, so a guy like that, or maybe even, I mean, gosh, I don't know how you get Buddy Heald onto this team. He's not a big, but he would provide a little bit more shooting. Uh, and I mean, the one of the other problems they have, they try to mask it. Um, we weirdly have not said this guy's name that I recalled, but uh, Darius Garland, in addition to uh, Donovan Mitchell, they're both undersized. Their uh, guard defense, their wing defense is horrible. And really, that 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 perimeter defense probably gets worse when you go from Okoro to Struess. Struess is not a bad defender by any means, but I think that's, that's what Okoro was providing a little bit. So it's interesting to see what they do there. Um, any kind of 3 and D wing or stretch four would theoretically make them better. Uh, the Knicks were a little bit harder, but since you have them as four, I'm going to let you talk about the Knicks and tell me if you have any kind of trades that you think would work for them. So I'm I'm weird because, once again, like the, the trade candidate on the Knicks is R.J. Barrett, and he's, he's so tantalizing because he could be exactly what that team needs. Like he could almost be what Wiggins is to the Warriors in a lot of ways. You know, that kind of secondary playmaker who can, you know, take over, hit some shots every now and then. And he just sometimes is not. He definitely was not during the Heat series. I mean, he was basically, you know, um, I'm, I feel like a non-factor. I think one game he had like 23 points, and it was like the quietest 23 points. It was just he's just, he's a weird player. He's the guy to trade, but the problem is, is I don't know who you get for him. So like everybody, like you know, I mean, a lot of people bring up Carl Anthony Towns here. But ta- there's a couple issues I have with that. One, Towns on, on a Tom Thibodeau team, we've already seen doesn't work. And then also, like, Towns is is a – is he really ruins what, like, the like the core of your heart and soul of what your team is. Because the, the, thing, that the, the thing that the Knicks did – to the Cavs, to you brought up the fact that like <clears throat> you know Mobley and Allen didn't get rebounds. Mobley and Allen both averaged nine rebounds a game last year. Uh, I mean they were they were good rebounders. Uh, um, you know both of them would have had higher rebounding stats if the other player went on the team. So they were good rebounders. But what Randall and Mitchell Robinson did to them was just bully them really. You know, and I mean say you know, you can talk about. You know, Randall, all you want. I know I'm higher on Randall than literally everybody in America. But, like, he's a rebounder. He's going to go up there and he's going to get boards. Towns isn't. Towns is a good rebounder, but he also, like, takes plays off. He's, you know, I like Towns a lot, but it's just that it's weird that that's the trade everyone's talking about because I don't understand. Like, do you put, like, so, like, if that trade happens, is it like Robinson and Barrett for Towns? Because then it, I, I, I think that's how you would have to make the contracts work. And then all of a sudden, doesn't doesn't that really just become like, like all of a sudden you lose all your rim protection? Um, Randall's a B defender, you know. Towns, 
Towns as a defensive player in the NBA is the most illogical thing because I remember him being a good defender in Kentucky, and I'm so confused I how totally he's not a good agree. defender in the NBA. Carl um, Cox came out, and I thought he's going to be a good defender. He just needs to make sure that he's able to play NBA-level offense. I didn't realize he was going to be able to shoot quite as well because John Calipari doesn't like his seven-footers to shoot threes, even if they can shoot it at 40%. But, yeah, I thought his floor on defense was going to be good. But to your uh, point, he just takes plays off sometimes. He's focused on other things, and he doesn't do enough on offense on a consistent basis to get that excuse. I mean, superstars, like when we talk about some of these players that bear such a burden on offense, when they don't play perfect defense, you kind of cut them a little bit of slack, but Towns Towns should not get that. He should be playing much better defense. Same thing with the rebounding. It's just very strange. Like you said, I'll let you continue. No, I just, no, everything you said, I agree with. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the trade is. I have no clue what the trade is. There's a part of me that like wonders, like we've already brought him up. Buddy Hield is going to be there. There's also a part of me that wonders about uh, Pascal, Pascal Siakam, um, who I think is going, I think, you know, I've got, I've got the Raptors and the Bulls both outside of the playoffs. And the reason I have both of them outside the playoffs is because I feel like both those teams, once we get to December, you're going to look at both of, both those teams and they're just going to be trying to sell these things off for pieces. Um, so I wonder, you know, I mean, like you had a uh, massage. I know, I know we're talking, we're now we're talking about all the whole league, but like you see where, uh, uh, I, uh is, is a massage Ujiri? Am I saying that correctly? I'm really yeah, bad at saying Ujiri. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see where he, he said, like, uh, we had players that were selfish last year? No. Uh, at the, uh, yeah, he said that press day. And it's like, you're clearly talking about Siakam, right? <laughs> He's like, you know, <laughs> because, you know, Siakam and, you know, and and maybe Van Vliet, I guess. But, like, it, it's, it's weird. You know, he said that. And there was this, like, undercurrent of, like, hey, you know, we're going to be sellers this year. Um, you know, I feel like that's how they're looking at this team this year is, like, we're going to be sellers. You know, we're going to see how good Scotty Barnes really is. Um, and then everything else is probably up for grabs. And so, you know, that's another guy I could see on the Knicks. But the problem with it, once again, is this idea of, like, when you bring in a player like that, I guess Siakam could play the three, maybe. Um, it's a stretch, but I guess he could. Yeah, but it's like- weird. I'll interject and say, like, Siakam and Randall, I feel like there's a lot of overlap. They are different players, but they're both like these weird bigs that like to charge the rim. Right. Uh, so, I, like, I I don't know if I would love that fit. Yeah, I just I, I it I feel like you know, um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I I, I I I feel like Randall's a guy that that'll probably be on trade block. It's it's just weird because you know the Knicks are going to go into probably December and January. And they're going to be right in the middle of the playoff spot, and I do wonder if this year, because I mean they they got the fan base excited last year, I do wonder if they're going to be looking like we need to swing for the fences, we need to figure something out. And of course, by that time, you know, like we're no, <laughs> we're not neither one of us have the Sixers on there, and that's probably because we're thinking the same thing, and we're going, you know, Embiid with you know Tyrese Maxey and a bunch of like, you know. Shake Milton and role play. Actually, Shake Milton's not even on that team anymore. Never, I don't know what I'm saying. But a bunch of like, you know, Tyrese Maxey and role players probably isn't going very far. So by that time, you know, is Embiid available? Like, I mean, that's that changes everything. 
And so I, I don't know. The, the the reason I don't have the Knicks and really the Cavs, you know, like they're, I've got them there, but I don't consider them as big contenders as the Heat, um, simply because I think the Heat at least know what they are. I don't think the Knicks and the Cavs do. Um, and, and last thing I will say is this. Every single, the past three seasons, Bill Simmons has talked about Evan Mobley you know, reminding me of Tim Duncan and like, we just got to stop this because Tim Duncan on his, in his rookie year made the all NBA first team. So we're not, we're not there guys. Like it's not, I like Evan Mobley a lot, but you were talking about him taking a step up. Well, what is that step going to be? He's not going to become a great three point shooter this year, you know? And like, even when that does happen, it's super rare that happens. Like the weirdest thing that's happened to me in the past as an NBA fan, one of the weird things happening in like the last 10 years is Brooke Lopez becoming this, you know, knockdown three-point shooter. But like he was assuredly not that for the first nine years of his career and then became that all of a sudden. Um, this is not a thing that that happens when you're asking Mobley to be like a, a good shooter. That's not a thing that it takes a long time for that to happen because even if they're like hitting them in practice – then you've got to be like, okay, do you have a confidence hit in a game? You know, do you have a confidence to hit it when 20,000 people are, you know, in the arena? Do you have the confidence to hit it when someone's closing out on you? These things take a while. And I just, I, I like Mobley a lot, but I have not seen that from him at all. I think it's, I think you got to go the opposite direction. I think the better idea is like, can you give him some moves around the hoop um, beyond what he's shown? Because he's extremely athletic. Um, and I just think that's, that's where you got to go with him. Um, if, if you're going anywhere, uh, I'll, I'll give you a last word here, Chase. I talked a lot. I'm sorry. No, you're good. And yeah, I mean, I, I think part of the progression you would want to see from Mobley is definitely partially in the shooting category, but I think you could definitely, I was picturing them giving him, uh, letting him open up the bag a little bit in some of those post moves, see if some of the extra space, I mean, most of the time when I think of spacing in the NBA offense, I'm thinking perimeter-oriented wise, but like he might benefit from spacing where people aren't swiping down trying to steal the ball from him because they're actually out guarding Mitchell, Garland, and Struess. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Try to use that footwork that he definitely has. Uh, he needs to still probably get a little bit bigger of a frame, but let him score a little bit more on the inside and in the middle area of the court. Uh but yeah, I mean, that's that's where I have them. I think they're once again going to be one of the best defenses in the NBA in the regular season. And actually, they were a fin- I think they were a phenomenal defense against the Knicks. The, the Knicks were just this weird team um all of last season where they didn't really excel at anything and they were still an above average offensive team. Like you think of Thibodeau teams and you're usually thinking that they're a defensive team, but they were just kind of middle of the pack on defense, I believe. And they were one of the better offensive teams. And basically it was like they made a decent amount of their free throws and they got more possessions off of offensive rebounds. And that clearly uh, showed itself in that series where they just pummeled uh, calves on the glass because they their field goal percentage wasn't very good. Their first shot percentage was pretty bad. The Cavs played very good defense. They just weren't, weren't able to end those possessions. So, I mean, that would be another thing. Uh, part of that is definitely a matchup thing. I mean, they literally, uh, I think more of us should have probably realized that going into the series because I thought that was going to be like a seven-game series with the Cavs in it, ending up winning it. 
Uh, I was clearly wrong on that, but that was just a horrible matchup as part of it. Uh, we'll see where they go, but again, I, I'm much more confident in these top two to three teams anyway, so I, I'm good to move on. you have anything more to say on the Knicks? Uh, Galen Brunson. I mean, let's see how, how high that can go. Um, cause I do, I think, I think he's really, really, really good. Um, you know, it's, it's really difficult to be that kind of player and have that amount of confidence. Um, and, and I just, I don't know. I, I, he, it would not shock me if he threw up like a, like a 27, four and seven this year, you know, and just, just really put himself into that category of, you know, great guards we've got in this league. I mean, he's already there, but just like really hitting that first tier. Uh, so yeah, that's the last thing I'll say about the Knicks. So we didn't talk about him that all that that much that much at all. And he's really he was kind of the he was kind of the turning point on that series. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, let's um let's talk about the Heat, Chase. I know you I know you really want to talk about the Heat, right? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, I have a long history of loving the Miami Heat. They've never done anything bad to me. Oh <laughs> uh, man. I so so the Heat, of course. Um, Heat are weird. Um, they didn't get what they wanted. Um, they're going into this, into this season, in my opinion, uh, with a extremely, um, kind of tattered team, I guess would be the word I'd use. You lose, uh, you lose Gabe Vincent, who you and Marcus Smart got to know really well last year. Uh, well, I've known Gabe Vincent since a few years ago when he did the exact same thing against the Celtics. He's I, yeah. I really like Gabe Vincent. I think that's a big loss. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic pickup. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, yeah. I'm, looking, I'm, I'm looking glass half glass half full here. Uh, but yes, you're right. Big big loss for the Heat. Um, but yeah, I mean, you lose him, you lose Struess. Uh, of course, the big thing, of course, you lose out on Dame Lillard which I think was, I guess, looking back, I guess really should have been a pipe dream to begin with. Um, what you do gain, so I think a lot of the heat case um, is going to rely on how good do you think Tyler Harrow is? And I'll let you answer that first. Tyler Hero has already had more time in like the NBA sun than I ever thought he did. A lot of the time, I'm definitely guilty of overhyping Kentucky prospects um, I, I try to be totally realistic about them. Like I definitely have had several that I did not think were going to be great NBA players, and I was correct on them. I definitely didn't think Hero was going to be bad. But like, uh, for example, what Tyler Hero did in the bubble against the Celtics as a rookie was honestly better than something that I thought he was going to do in his prime. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I don't know how often he's repeated that since then. Uh, I mean, we know some players were just different in the bubble. So uh, it's not that Hero's been bad since then, but he hasn't flashed quite the same way. I think he's a very good player, but um, that's not really the context that I'm talking about him as, though. Like, I'm not... When we talk about Tyler Hero and what the Heat probably need him to be, they don't need him to be a good player. They need him to be capable of being the third best player on a championship team. I, I think, and I, I don't see that for him at all. I mean, he's not an outstanding defensive player. 
he he is a good offensive player. He can do some stuff off the dribble. He's a decent passer. Uh, he's not. I, I don't think he's what the Heat really need, and I think there's a reason that they were perfectly fine moving on from him to get Dame Lillard. Uh, the problem to me of that trade is I, I thought if they actually pulled that off, they would have nobody. It was going to be Dame and Jimmy and Bam and worse than what the Phoenix Suns have around their three guys. So I, I almost wanted that trade to happen because I, I didn't know if they would actually get better. Um, I still don't think they're that great because, again, they lost two of the like eight or nine best players they had last year. But, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that uh, – and I like Tyler Hero. Again, I think he's good. But there's a reason that the Miami Heat were able to make the finals without him. Like, he, he's just not that important to what they do. And if they need to elevate uh, to, uh, like, contention status – Again, I think they're well behind the Celtics and the Bucks. There are reasons both for their players and their coaches that I trust them more than the other 12 teams in the East. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Hero's quite there. So I, I feel like I'm saying a lot of pessimism right now for a team that I said is the third best contender for the East. But yeah, I mean, they definitely have their flaws. It's just I've seen it too many times. They can turn into another gear. I mean, it's weird. They were minutes away from losing in the play-in and not even making the playoffs. And then they got in the playoffs, and they just were awesome. I mean, they punked the Bucks, They punked the Celtics. They punked the Knicks. And then, I mean, they got run over by the train that is Nikola Jokic. But they, I've seen them do it too many times. I trust so many pieces of this organization. Uh, I, I think they're going to – they're definitely going to be trying to win, but I, I think they're just – flawed semi-contender so i don't disagree with anything you're saying okay um my slight pushback is this is, is that you said can tyler hero be the third best player on a finals or, or on a championship team and i guess my question would be like I mean, Caleb Martin was a third best player on a finals team. Like, I don't see that being that big a difference. Because, like, the, the main difference here, you know, and I agree with you. I, I, Harrow's better than I thought he'd be. I think I figured his career would be close to what, like, Trey Lyles is right now. as a very, very good, you know, seventh or eighth man, um, you know, that you can bring in for some energy. Uh, there's time. There was times in the bubble where Harrow was – you know, the guy that was making the engine run. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm shocked Harrow got this good. Um, the question to me, you know, is, is really, you know, not, can he be the third best player on a championship team? It's, you know, can he, can he listen to, instruction because <laughs> one of the issues you have with harrow is he's he's kind of wild and he can he can get into his own kind of try to get into his own rhythm and things like that and when you're playing on a spolster team which is you know i consider spolstra to be the best coach in the nba right now i think he's proven it several times um when you play on a spolster team you really need to buy into the philosophy that Spolster is going to put you in the best position for you to succeed. 
and um, he always does that. He's he's done that with every player he's had. He there's not a player he has failed, and I, there's no other coach you can say that about. And I do wonder if Harrow is going to buy into that, um, because I for me the fear is Harrow's going to come in and be like, I can't believe you guys tried to trade me for Dame Lillard, and you know I was going to come in like I'm going to show you I'm going to take over the game I'm going to take 25 shots a game in a similar way that Lamar Odom kind of did when they tried to trade him for Chris Paul. Um, that's that's my fear, you know, because Harrow's always struck me as a little bit immature and a little bit um, a little bit full of himself. And I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, I've, I, I, I'm okay with being full of yourself. You know, basketball is a, conf- a sport about confidence in a lot of ways. But is he going to allow himself to be the third best player on this team? You know, um, that's the question for me, because Bam and Jimmy are there. Bam and Jimmy are fantastic players. Um, you know, really, one of the questions you might be asking ourselves, and I'll ask you this, Jace, I mean, can Bam take another step? I mean, he really, really became the easy third best center in the league last year, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing with Bam, it, it's very weird to me that I, I feel like He's been inconsistent, and that's not a word that feels right to say about Bam Adebayo. But uh, especially offensively, like there were times where Bam just didn't put any fear in me. Uh, It it was really, I mean, it was the Gabe Vincent show and the Caleb Martin show and different stuff. Like they were so much more important to that offense, weirdly enough, um, in like really their last three playoff runs, um, especially again the two that, or maybe it's four, but the the two times that they made the finals, Bam would alternate between like, okay, this is the Bam that I know. And then, okay, this is just a a good center who plays great defense and can get 12 points for you on like not really impressive anything. Uh, So I, I don't know, like, I think we've seen the ceiling for Bam as far as like output. I think really the thing is, and I, I don't have a great, this uh, This might not be um, insightful, I don't have a whole bunch that I can say he needs to do to fix that consistency. I don't know if it's uh, a mentality thing, if he just gets a little bit too passive at times, or if it's a matchup thing where sometimes in the playoffs there's some players that just kind of get it, that are, make him struggle. Like Al Horford is one of the best big man defenders we've seen in the last 20 years. Uh, and even, I mean, my gosh, he's one of the question marks that I have about the Celtics when we get there, because I just don't know how long he can do it. But I do think one thing is like Al Horford at times makes it really hard on Bam to do well. So yeah, uh, if he can raise his consistency to where he's always capable of giving you 15 to 20 on offense, in addition to his great defense and continues to be involved in the offense. So even if he's not giving you 15 or 20, is he kind of that fulcrum at the elbow where he's going to make the right pass? He's going to help in a dribble handoff, set a good screen, stuff like that. Uh, it's consistency for me that a big part of what they're going to need is Bam for sure. Do you see anything that I'm missing there? No, you're not missing anything. I, I totally agree with everything. Um, yeah, I, I, I just feel like Bam, when he's on, is just such a different kind of player. Um, he covers so much ground on defense. Uh, I, you know, 
kind of think he was. I, I understand, given the defense player year, Jaron Jackson. I told you at the in the middle of the season, I thought Bam was a better defender. I still hold to that. Um, so yeah, I I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Um, maybe he can take another step. Um, last thing I asked about the Heat, uh, you in on Nikola Jovic or, or you out on Nikola Jovic? The only thing I know about him is that he's a recent first round draft pick and his name is a letter off from the uh, former two time MVP. So, uh, <laughs> no, I really I, I'm intrigued because they obviously see something in him and that. I lost you, Chase. You there? Replace some of the production that you got um, out of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. And I assume they're going to be really different players. But uh, can you get something out of Jovic or can you get something out of Jaime Jaquez or something? Because they, they have production they're going to have to replace. I, I mean, I just I trust Spolster to get stuff out of people. I think Jovic is probably going to be in the starting four by the end of the year. Uh, now, whether he's going to be that good or not, I don't know. I know they're really high on him. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. We got to move on. Yeah, uh, the, the trust in Spolster is why we both have him at three. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the Bucks, um, who who had the probably the most important uh, pickup of the summer. I think we both agree that them picking up Ty Ty Washington really is going to put them on another level. Uh, really exactly. Simple. I told you the Rockets were silly for giving up on them so fast. Exactly. So I really think that's where uh, the fulcrum of what uh, the Bucks are going to be really resides with uh, our boy Ty Ty Washington. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we both kept a straight face during that. Um, no, I mean, you know, the Bucks. Uh, we already know what we got to talk about here, right? We got to talk about our Damian Lillard. We got to talk about Giannis and how that fits. Um, and if there's anyone, you talk about a team that, that you, you know, that you're like, you know, you're like, I don't know who who's going to fit around. You said that, you know, if they, if they trade everybody for Dame, um, you know, who's, who else are going to play? The Bucks were already kind of, kind of a shallow team in my opinion i i you know like you know they they got they picked up cameron Payne this year they picked up ty ty of course they picked up uh uh lillard of course um but like it's just like i'm so huge on damian lillard why why chase talk to me why do i not trust this team that much uh, well, if there's actually, let me ask you this before I go further. Do you think there's a gap between the Celtics and the Bucks? I think, I think the Celtics top six is better than the Bucks top six by a pretty wide margin. That's what I would say. I like to hear that. All right, then I I think you might be either overrating the Celtics or underrating the Bucks. Uh, my thing here is I have uh, we'll talk about the West later, of course, but my first ring of contenders does not contain the Miami Heat, and it's like three to five teams, probably 
Yeah, uh, it, probably closer to three than it is five. And I have questions about every team. So I do have questions about the Bucks. There are things that I think will not go their way, things that they're going to have to address and figure out, uh, and they may be working on the fly to do. Uh, there are certainly holes to pick at them, but there's holes to pick at anybody. So, I mean, their depth is a little bit of an issue. I mean, they lose Grayson Allen, who that that's not that big of a deal to me in a vacuum. But, I mean, he started for them. He was an important piece to, of their depth. Uh, they had to give up a decent amount. So I, they're not in the same shape that I thought the Heat would be, where they literally have nobody. I really like their top uh, probably six. I mean, when you think um, – well, Who's their top six? I want you to name them. I was going to say, uh, I'm going to have to put a name in there that just kind of doesn't make sense, but I think it's going to be their fifth starter – so that's the thing. I think their top six is very rock solid, but one of the six is not that good. So obviously it's going to be Dame. It's going to be Giannis. It should be Chris Middleton. That's a question mark, too. Are you getting 2021 Chris Middleton or are you getting 2023 Chris Middleton? You're not. You're, you're 100% not. I don't mean to interrupt you, but you're definitely not. Like, we know. We, we, have, we have this. We've had this experience for two years now. Like yeah. I mean, like Chris Chris Middleton was, I've Chris Middleton was a question mark in twenty twenty one, because I've I, like when you look at the games where he where he showed up, the Bucks won handily. But you look at the games where he was like, I'm gonna shoot two for eighteen randomly. This this I, they they were not good. And the the big the one of the things that I understand like why they wanted Dame so bad is because the big question with Giannis has always been, is, you know, is he going to get guard play that's going to match what he does on offense? And they just, Middleton has not been that, but yeah, carry on. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'm glad you interrupted. It's um, if you've got something good to say, it's a good time to do it. So yeah, uh, that's the thing. I, I didn't think Chris Middleton was a big question mark in 2021. And part of it, I know, is because he played inordinately incredible. He was so good every dang time he played the Celtics. I mean, I watched him, and I'm like, I am watching a top 10 player in the NBA, and I hate this. And uh, so I knew what he was capable of, and he did it enough in that 2021 run. But, um, yeah, I mean, there are players that sometimes – it takes a year or two to come back from injury. So I don't want to totally shut the door on Chris Middleton being closer to 2021 than 2023. But yeah, I mean that I will give you that if we end up getting like 60 to 70% of what Middleton used to be, then yeah, I think there is a pretty big gap. So that that's again, to use that term, that's my swing piece of pretty much that whole team. But another point that I've heard people say is like he's never been uh, like a tertiary, a full tertiary. He's not even a secondary option in that offense anymore. He is not an afterthought, but it's like, okay, we're going to run our action with Dame and Giannis. And then, oh, okay, they scrambled. They're not in good position, but they are at least guarding both of us. And oh, look, Chris Middleton is more open than he's been in the last eight years or whatever. I mean, Middleton should theoretically have the best matchups he's had his entire career and the most open looks he's had his entire career. So he, I, I think that's going to really help him. If he can't succeed this year, then I think we're just going to have to say that he's done and the the Bucks aren't as good as I think they could be. Uh, but yeah, so I'll, I'll continue. That's, that should be their top three. And then you've got Brooke Lopez, 
And then, from what I've heard, they're going to be starting Malik Beasley. So, uh, I mean, is that a downgrade or a lateral move from Grayson Allen? I don't think it's an improvement. So that that's a that's a tough starter. That that's a, a big deal. But I like their top four probably more than the Celtics' top four. Um, it, but that that's huge. And Are you, you serious? Dude, Giannis and Dame you, is incredible. You, you, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So, so let, let, let's just go on. Let's go on into the Celtics because I'm amazed to hear this. So you're telling me you like Giannis, Dame, Middleton, and Brooke Lopez better than you like Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Kristaps Porzingis. It's not a huge gap, but I mean, I I think Giannis is better than Tatum, and I think Dame is better than Brown. I like the Celtics three and four better than the Bucks three and four, but I I think the the Bucks have a better top two. I mean, maybe, but like, okay, well, I will tell you what, you know, well, yeah, that's fair, that's totally fair, but like the swig here, of course, that that we're not bringing into it is this uh, or we haven't brought into it yet is how what is Drew Holiday going to do to an already really good Celtics defense and also everything you're not bringing into is this is like Derek White is way better is like loads better than what Malik Beasley is oh yeah it's not not even close so so you know to me you're like like the idea of of their top four being so much better relies so much on the fact that you're expecting Chris Middleton to be close to what he was. You're also expecting Brooke Lopez to be to continue to be what he is at age. Yeah, I mean we're already on Brooke Lopez two point Yeah. So yeah, so so like you know, I mean he doesn't have an earth step. So I'm just I, I'm I, I no I I really like, I like the Celtics top four better. Also, I'm on this camp where I'm just like, you know, I, I I do wonder, I'm going to say it again. I wonder how many times Jason Tatum has to outplay the best players in the NBA before he's the best player in the NBA. Like, how many times does that have to happen? You know, because once again, like, it, it's, it, I understand, I, I understand Jimmy Butler was the story of the playoffs last year, okay? But Tatum knocked him beat out. Two years ago, in the exact same and in, in, in a row, he outplayed Durant, played at least two what Giannis was, and then outplayed Butler in three separate series. So I I, I don't understand what has changed here. Like I, I and I think Tatum has another step. I think he can take another step. But it is interesting to me that we, we we do this thing with Tatum where it's like, yeah, I think Giannis is better. Well, yeah, he, I mean, sure, he's Giannis. He's a, he's a freak. But once again, we get these seven game series. You know, I mean, because I mean, I personally, I, I will, I will always say this. Okay, Tatum doesn't bust his ankle in Game Seven. That that game goes completely different. You know, um, but you know, of course. If, Joe Mazzulla understands how substitutions work. That game might go completely different too, but I don't know. But, but I, I do think there's a, there's that gap between Giannis and Tatum is a lot closer than a lot of people think it is. Um, and, I just, and I, and I just, I, I don't know. I just, it, it's one of those things where once again, like, you know, 2021, you know, Giannis was fantastic. You know, he was great. Best player in the league. Um, but he's had two disappointing playoffs, <laughs> disappointing playoff exits since then. 
And, you know, last year we can, the back, you know, was a whole different thing. Plus the heat were just a weird team, uh, such a fluke of a team or maybe not a fluke. I don't know, but you know, um, I just, I don't, man, I think that's a lot. I, I, I'm, I don't think I'm overrating the Celtics, man. I mean, I, you know, like, so like what, what, so, so talk, okay. So you're, 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 you're the, you're Celtics guy case. So talk about the Celtics then. Like, so, so when you compare the Bucks, did you, did you tell us who the sixth best player on the Bucks was? Cause I'm, I'm struggling to find who that is. If I, I think I did, if I didn't, it's probably Bobby Portis. I want to say that's who I expect to be their sixth man. Okay. That's, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so then, so, so give me, give me the top six for the Celtics then. All right. So, I mean, top six for the Celtics is incredibly easy. It's Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Christoph Porzingis, Derek White, Al Horford. Okay. So, so let's say here. Okay. So th- th- this is why, this is why I've got a gap between the Celtics and the Bucks. So let's say, okay, that the, that the top four players for both teams are, I mean, minuscule, like, Bucks, is, Bucks are better, but, like, they're not that much better, right? I mean, you think the Bucks are better, but, like, it's not, it's not a leap, right? No, it's definitely not a leap, and then again, I mean, however you um, break it down, I mean, I think the Bucks top two are a little bit better, and then the Celtics three and four are better, the Celtics five and six are better, uh, the Celtics uh seven through ten probably better i'd have to go look at what milwaukee has past that but yeah i mean i I think it's close and i think the celtic are better overall um and then i want to point out like i think when i made some player rankings recently i had jason tatum as the fourth best player in the nba i think he's the best player in the nba who hasn't won a championship i have him over luka Doncic. that's probably the most contentious one that i would have him over um i think he's excellent also have that much respect for Giannis. And then I, I I worry about, I know Dame's not a stellar defender, but the gap between Dame and Jalen Brown, depending on the night, can be pretty big. Uh, so that's kind of where I stand. And then I'll also throw out, I always have a little bit of extra pessimism for my own team baked in because I just... I, I experience heartbreak enough because I, <laughs> my teams are always good enough to win titles but they don't win enough for me, so I'm just sad. That's fair. Um, I I I'm looking at the Bucks roster right now, and I don't know who the seventh best player is. It's somewhere between Robin Lopez, Jay Crowder, and I guess Cameron Payne or AJ Green. Yeah, I don't, I don't love that. Jay Crowder is probably going to play minutes, but I don't know what he is even anymore. And I love Jay Crowder when he was a Celtic. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Jay Crowder, but you know, once again, we're 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 looking at looking at a at a downward slope for that guy's career right now. So I just, I don't, man, I just, I don't know. I think the Celtics are going to. So last thing we'll talk about with these two teams, okay? Because we do need to move on. But yeah. like. Both of them, I have serious questions about the coaching for both of them. Um, so, like, the last big headline we got was uh, Adrian Griffin firing Terry Stotts. Um, to your point, I did look up. It is funny because it happens, like, two days after Damian Lillard's talking about how excited he is to have Terry Stotts, you know, like, as you know, as an assistant. Which I, every time something like that happens, it's just funny to me. I don't know. There was some type yeah. of uh, thing at practice. 
um, when this happens with young coaches, um, you know, they, they, they got to come in, they've got to set a standard. Uh, and, you know, apparently Terry Stotts won't talk to Lillard and Giannis while the rest of the coaches were huddled together. And, you know, uh, Griffin yelled at him and, you know, it's, 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 it's unfortunate. Um, but it does, I think, leading to an issue. I have both these, both at the very least, both these teams, which are, in my opinion, the two most champion-ready teams, even even over the Nuggets. I mean, I think the Nuggets have the best shot at, at repeating. But if you just look on paper at the teams that are the most well-constructed to win a championship, it's between these two teams. And yet, to me, the biggest question mark is, at the very least, you know, if I'm being nice, the coaching here is untested. Or like um, untested, or just like a big question mark, because we saw Missoula have really bad moments during the playoffs, and we've got Griffin here who's firing, you know, a assistant coach who was really brought in, kind of be the Dame whisperer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So right off the bat, you have these issues. Um, I do know, uh, I know you're excited, uh, more excited than I am. The Celtics did bring in Jeff Van Gundy as an advisor. Um, so, you know, he can he can advise on, <laughs> you know, whatever he advises on. I don't know, you know, uh, you know, I guess. But, but, but yeah, uh, you know, the coaching there, Chase, talk a little bit about that. Well, so I am. Uh, I'll say I'm much more excited about Sam Cassell being brought in as an assistant than I am uh, Van Gundy coming in as a consultant. But, I mean, I, I do still think that Van Gundy is going to be, I would think he'd be a net positive, even if it's not a huge positive. Like, that's just somebody with experience who can probably sit Missoula down. And, I mean, I was surprised to hear some people say, uh, okay, this is not what I'm surprised about. Some people said that it was probably Griffin being a little bit too concerned that Terry Stotts is a former NBA head coach. And if things don't go well, you could really easily see after two years or maybe even one, the Bucks let Griffin go and have him replaced with Terry Stotts. Uh, I don't I've heard some people speculate that about Van Gundy, and I would just be shocked if the Celtics hired him as a head coach. I would not be happy about that. So I don't think that's a thing. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be a positive. I love Sam Cassell. He was like a player slash assistant coach the last time the Celtics actually won right. a championship. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited for him to come in as well. And I mean, of course, I really I would love to know how much Brad Stevens does with Joe Missoula because I know he's like GM or manager or whatever his title is. I don't know if they change it, but like. Brad Stevens was a fantastic coach. He literally was the last coach of the Celtics before Missoula. And I feel like he should be talking to Missoula a lot. Because obviously Stevens still has an investment in the Celtics doing well. So I feel like when he sees Missoula doing weird slash stupid coaching things, he can be like, hey, man, this is what I see. This is what I think. Uh, And if nothing else, I think there are more heads that, are going to be in the room that can do that for him. Uh, Missoula also, uh, of course, I don't know him personally, but he has he has the benefit of having a year to kind of figure some of this stuff out. 
he's made mistakes, and I hope that he is going to learn from them. Uh, and then another weird thing is that they they got rid of one or two players, one for sure, maybe two, that probably didn't jive with Missoula's view of the team that well. It was pretty obvious at times in the playoffs that Missoula just didn't want to play Grant Williams. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't heartbroken for Grant Williams to leave the team necessarily, but he, Grant Williams, when I'm being unbiased, he's a very good player who should be playing playoff rotation minutes. Uh, Missoula, that just confused every bit of me. Uh and I think it was Missoula appears to be more of an offensive-minded coach, and he doesn't like playing two bigs. He doesn't like playing defense first, guys. He wanted to kind of move the offense. And I think um, some people also said that he didn't really like what was going on with Smart, whether Smart was too vocal, and maybe he felt like he didn't have control of the locker room. I think that's that's probably possible. But Smart was – he – facilitated stuff in that offense. I think he helped that offense hum more than he hurt it. Like Grant Williams kind of maybe could, because I never want Grant Williams dribbling the ball. But they got rid of those two players and brought in Kristaps Porzingis and Drew Holiday. And while Holiday is definitely what I would consider a defense-first player, he's a smooth offensive player as well, especially when you're asking him to be like the fourth guy on offense. If he's your second or third, sometimes he's going to be too much in the spotlight. But I think they kind of got guys that probably jive more with what Missoula wants. Whether that's good or bad, we'll see. Uh, but there's a lot of that inexperience at coach that the Celtics just had. Because I talked about it earlier, what you see on paper is not always what you see on the court. I still think the Celtics on paper were the best team in the NBA last year. I think they were better than the Nuggets. They just did not put what they had together as well as what the Nuggets did. The Nuggets did a phenomenal job, and they're an excellent team. They absolutely could beat the Celtics even on the Celtics' best day. But they were able to uh, co have that cohesion a little bit better and reach close to their maximum potential. Were you going to say something? No. Uh, well, uh, no, I mean, I, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um no, no, I don't think there's really anything left to say. Uh, I think you you hit the nail on the head on you know on what the Celtics need to do. I will say the Celtics, you know, right now are my pick to win the whole thing. Um, I just think the the idea of had, adding Drew to it just really puts them over the edge. Um, the thing, the difference, and I love Marcus Smart. Um, there's a lot of you talk about somebody's getting trash. There's a lot of Marcus Smart trashing going on, um, but Drew's Drew's definitely a better player than Smart. But the main thing that's different is Drew. There will never be a point where Missoula will be like, I think Drew's just trying to take this team over. That's not a thing that's going to happen. Um, he's such a professional, and I think he he brings a lot of of. Uh, you know, not that not that the Celtics were like a classless team, but he just he brings a lot mm -hmm. of professionalism to any place he goes. But the last thing I will ask you on this, um, you know, is uh, you know, it, Tatum MVP this year. I mean, I've said last two years, I thought he was. I don't care what anyone says, he was my pick over Embiid last year. He's at least as good a player as Embiid. He was he was a better in the playoffs. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I mean, you know, Embiid's a better scorer, I guess, but I mean, Tatum's as good a rebounder. Um, I think Embiid's defense is overrated. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, is, is this year Tatum wins MVP? What do you think? 
Uh, uh, it's going to come down to voting. But yeah, I mean, if he is healthy, he is probably top two for me. Um, if I, I don't know if I'm trying to read a little bit too much into my crystal ball. I don't have him winning it this year, but he's my second candidate. So I think it's very possible. I think the Celtics, I, I don't know if everybody else feels this way, but I think basically every member of the Celtics has something major to prove this year. So like, I'm I, I'm not necessarily expecting this, but I think it's very possible that this team is so motivated that they could go out and get 65 wins. Um, if things break right, of course, you have to have health and stuff like that. But um, I've been hearing way too much, obviously not from anybody on this podcast right now, but uh, way too much Tatum slander lately. I couldn't believe some of the stuff that I've heard negatively said about Jason Tatum. It's just ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, I think he's a little bit underrated right now on the whole, and I, I think it easily could be him. Uh, I would hedge against that, but yeah, I, I think there are only like three, maybe four really, really good MVP candidates right now anyway. That might be a little bit of a hot take, but there are only three players I'm even considering for it, uh, unless I'm overlooking somebody obvious. Uh, I think uh, I've told you before, in my lifetime, Tatum is the most underrated superstar player I've ever seen. Ryan Rosillo on two straight podcasts has said he likes Devin Booker better than Jason Tatum. I do not understand that take in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Um, you know, I like Devin Booker a lot. Um, I don't know what Devin Booker does better on a basketball court than Jason Tatum does. Maybe a better shooter, I guess, but I I'm so confused. And 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 there's a lot of there there's a lot of people that have that take, and I just feel like this is a guy. He goes out, you know. I mean, Chase. I mean, I've talked about this before, man. Like, you realize he's the he's the first Celtic to average thirty points a game. Like, you can look that up. You know, I mean, you think about that for a second. You know, I mean, the the Celtics that have been. I mean, Celtics have the second. Yeah, I mean, arguably the first, but like I would say the second most, you know, superstar players ever. And he's the first one average 30 points a game. Like if you look at like what he did last year, which is 39 and four, like it compares to like, you know, like the comparisons would be like Birds 87, 29, 9 and 16, maybe Havlicek's 28, 7 and 7 uh, in 73, you know, like, I mean, we're, you're looking at star level stuff here and no one talks about it. It is, it is mind boggling to me. It is just, it is amazing to me. And I have to, and it, it, it annoys me more because I'm defending a Celtic. So like, it's like, it's even worse, you know? Um, but yeah, I, he's, I, I think, you know, I've got a pretty small pool of MVPs too, but he's my number one. Um, we got to move on case. We got to move on. Um, yeah, can I ask you, and I'll let you rapid fire it if yeah. we can, because I know we we can be a little bit long winded, but I, I I don't know. I don't think this is an easy question to answer. Who do you think benefited from the recent trades more, the Celtics or the Bucks? Because I, I was on quite a roller coaster where, like, I thought the Celtics and Bucks were on pretty equal footing. I wasn't supremely confident, but I felt pretty good. And then the Bucks go out and get Dame, and I'm like, oh, no, I I don't feel so good anymore. And then the Celtics go out and get Drew because that he was part of the uh, Dame deal. So all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good again. I think the Celtics are slight favorites over the Bucks. 
So do you have like a big take on that? Like which team benefited from the trades in the last few weeks more? I think both trades were A pluses. Um, both of them at both. So for me, one of the issues I have a lot of trades in the NBA is I'm, I'm just like, I don't know what that benefited. I, both those trades answered exactly what was wrong with their teams last year. Um, with this, with the, with the, with the bucks, it's what is our offense? If John is, if, 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 if John is gets stalled, you know, what, 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 what is our offense then? Uh, and then with the Celtics, it's, you know, we have this like situation where all of a sudden, you know, we can't defend a guard to save our lives. And also we have a situation where, you know, we have players that are make is making our coach uncomfortable. Um, like I said, Drew Holiday is universally beloved in the league. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's a rarity in the sense of like, he's considered one of the best defenders in the history of the league. And yet I guarantee you've never heard anyone call him dirty. And like, I've heard people call Scotty Pippen dirty. I've heard people call Jordan dirty. Kobe was called dirty. I've heard people call Kevin Garnett dirty. You never heard Drew, Drew Holiday called dirty. And so like those two things, I mean, th- those were the issues with the Celtics last year. And like with the Celtics, you know, um, the you know like being able to have somebody that can, that can calm things down, um, being able to have someone that can you know from the perimeter, you know run a pick and roll. Um, you really didn't have that. I mean, Derek White can. I you know I, I love Marcus Smart, but he's not consistent in that role. Um, so like you know I, I think I think both of them are tens, Chase. I don't know I don't know which one to put above. You know, but they they both answered. Uh, consistently the problems that they need other than once again, the coaching because Budenholzer for whatever reason had for, you know, I, I, I don't know what Budenholzer is the coach. I go back and forth on the most. Cause I don't know if he's a really good coach or like a really lucky coach. And then with Missoula, you know, like his, his offense last year was not great. Um, and then like he made some really kind of bonehead decisions last year as well. Those are the answers that weren't answered, but and from a player standpoint, no, I think I think they made perfect, uh, perfect moves. You know, um, you'd want the you'd want the the Bucks to be a little deeper, but that's about it. You know, and I just you know I don't know how deep you have to be if you know if you've got Giannis and Damian Lillard, you know, dominating everything. And I and I really do think like the only teams that can exploit the deficits that they have are each other. So no, I think, I, I think it was a 10 and a 10, you know, a plus on both sides. Yep. I'm pretty much on the same page there. I, I probably have two main questions for each team, each one of them. One of them is the coaching, as you said, uh, for the Celtics. Uh, I like their depth fairly well, but I think they need one more front court guy because they send Robert Williams out in that trade to get drew holiday. So now like, Al Horford is the only big from last year's team that uh, played real playoff minutes coming back. So, I mean, your uh, third best big now is probably Luke Cornett. Uh, I like Cornett. I think he's going to play plenty in the regular season and good regular give good regular season minutes. Uh, but I don't know about that in the playoffs. So especially if there's any kind of health concern for anybody. I mean, Al Horford's like, I want to say he's like 37 now. I mean, he's getting there. So... 
I think the Celtics need one more front court piece, and then the I'm interested to see if this actually rears its head. But the other issue I have with the Bucks is that they really don't have awesome guard play on the defensive end anymore. I mean, that's a huge swing going from Holiday uh, to Lillard. It improves the offense by so much, but it uh, hurts the defense almost by the same amount. Um, of course, you still have Giannis there and some other good defensive pieces. I mean, Giannis, theoretically Middleton, and Brooke Lopez should be a top 10 defense on its own. But um, when it had Holiday, like that was just such a lethal, uh, crushing defense. Uh, I'm interested to see that as well. So their guard play, the Celtics front court, that's another thing that I'll keep my eye on. Yeah, it, it, when you when you brought up like, you know, uh, the difference between Dame Lord and Kalen Brown could be, you know, vast on night to night. I I was just sitting here thinking like, you know, here's the thing. They don't have a guard that's going to make Jalen Brown go left. You know, I mean, that's the honest truth. So like, yeah. I mean, I you know, I, <laughs> you know, the difference was like, you know, Gabe Vincent, you know, Caleb Martin and Jimmy Butler, you know, are in Jalen Brown's face the entire time. Pat Connaughton ain't doing that. Malik Beasley isn't doing that. So, uh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, those those are deficits, you know. But like I said, it's also I think the only two teams that can, the only teams that can like really exploit those deficits are each other. I really do. Uh, and I and I guess the Heat when you know Nikola Jovic is pulling down a twenty fifteen and five, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. but other than that, you know, that's really uh, that's where I'm at. Hey, we got to talk about wild cards. Okay, so who's your wild card in the East? <laughs> so I uh, don't I'm say glad. the Sixers. Don't do it. Yep, you you Gosh, were able to see I where knew I was going to do it. I knew you were going to do it. Why? You you know me well enough. It, it's it's because they truly. It's because they truly are a wild card. But more than anything else, like I said earlier, there are two contenders in the East. So I mean, this is a wild card in that I don't know what they're going to do they could easily make it to the second round of the playoffs. And that's all I'm going to give them because uh, I think the Celtics and the Bucks are the only two teams that unless the Cavs get the one seed and the Celtics and Bucks are two and three, they're probably the two teams that should be making it to the conference finals anyway. So uh, the 76ers, I mean, I'm not afraid of them at all. Uh, I just don't know where they're going to be. They they're going to make the playoffs unless they totally blow things up. Uh, they're going to probably end up making some moves, whether it be he who must not be named James Harden or, uh, you know, whatever. I'm not excited to talk about them. If you don't want to talk about them, I'm, I'm perfectly fine moving on. I almost put the Atlanta Hawks here. I, I could have put the Knicks, but I don't think they're a wild card. I think we know what they are. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, the East wild card is just uninspiring to me. That, that's my defense. So the, the thing about the Sixers, so – I it's it's literally a team that I cannot envision a way that they get to the finals because we now have definitive proof that the moment Joel Embiid hits 75 games, he tires out and he cannot carry an offense anymore. And part of that is on the coaching situation. I know there's been a whole lot where Doc has really thrown Hardened under the bus recently, and like, I mean, he hasn't thrown him. He's thrown him under the bus in a Doc Rivers way, which is like this classy, like you know, being hard just really did get along. Because um, sometimes I'd be like thrown into Embiid, and Harden would be like, "I'm just gonna ISO every day," you know. And so I know that's what he's doing. But there's been a whole lot of, but it a lot of that's on Doc. Okay, um, I am intrigued by Nick Nurse, who I do think is a really good coach. Um, 
But at the end of the day, it's it comes down to that guy. If you get him to seventy five games, he can't he can't carry a team anymore. He loses his legs, you know. He starts getting tic tac injuries, um, you know. He gets tired and like and I mean that's just what he is at this point. I, it's it's not it's not it, this that's not an insult to him. And then I'll I, I'm like I am already depressed about the fact that. Cause I'm getting older, Chase. You know, I'm 30. I turned 38 this year, and I'm already depressed about the fact that I'm going to have to like go on message boards for the rest of my life and explain to people that James Harden is the worst MVP in the history of the, of the NBA, and that he's the worst superstar in the history of the NBA, and he ruined every situation he was ever in. And, and, and with the Sixers, I, you know, I really am kind of happy that it's happening to him because like the love affair of Daryl Morey has to stop. He's, he's never GM'd a team that, you know, that his, his ideas of what a team should be are not conducive with good basketball. And I hope this is the end, end of it. I, I, I hope it's the end of it. Hope Maury gets fired. Hope Embiid gets traded. Hope James Harden never plays again, and let's just move on and give and let Philadelphia start over again and give that town the team it deserves because Philadelphia has fantastic fans, and it's just it's just it's unfair because like because that that you know this is all we've talked about for the past two weeks is James Harden you know was you know forcing his way out here, and it just is I'm I'm tired of it. I don't want I don't want to deal with it anymore. And this is the least fun wild card you could have picked, Case. This is the least fun. Okay. My wild card's way more fun. Who do you think my wild card is? Is it a team that I said recently? Is it any of those teams that I've named, like Cavs? Oh, it is not. It is not. But but you'll but you it, it, when I tell you, you won't be surprised. Okay, I've got two guesses then. I feel like it's either going to be the Pacers or the Magic. It's the Pacers, baby. Listen, consideration. Listen, the Pacers. The reason Pacers are wild card to me is you could tell me they're going to be the 12th best team of the East or the third best team in the East, and I would yeah. not disagree with you. Like I would, because like it is the weirdest chase. It's the weirdest team I've I've ever seen put together. I've talked to you about this a little bit, but like this team has like six guards that are supposed to play, you know. And I don't I don't understand how that works. You know, when you look at like so, so starting off is I'm I'm a huge Tyrese Halliburton fan. Uh, I think Halliburton's you know um, going to make a leap this year. He made a leap last year, twenty and ten uh, points and assists, which is very difficult to do and does not happen as often as you think it would. But I just, oh man, I love this team so much. Okay, like look, first and foremost, okay, the grandma boy Oscar Shuiboy, okay, who. You know, I, I am convinced, okay, I am dying on the hill that this man is the next Kenneth Farid. Um, I'm the only person on that hill, you know. Uh, you talk about how you overrate UK players, I guess I do as well. Um, but he's he's on the team, he's made the team, he's gonna he's going into the season, they've already said. So, like, I mean, I'm excited about that. They also drafted one of my favorite players in Jarris Walker, who I really thought was just a great, like, really cool glue guy for Houston. Um, I think he's going to come in. He's going to set hard picks. He's going to rebound. Uh, I don't think his offense is near as good as what they're saying it is, but I don't think it has to be. Um, and I, I really like Miles Turner, man. Like I've, I've always liked Miles Turner. Like, I, is it, is it weird to like Miles Turner, Chase? 
No, no. I mean, I was looking through their roster this past week. Because, like I said, they uh, I probably would have gone with the Hawks if it wasn't the Sixers. But then the, the Pacers were my very next team that I was going to consider it a wild card. I was looking at their roster. Like you said, they've got like 13 or 14 guys who, I mean, my goodness, the Bucks would love to have their 8th, ninth, 10th, and 12th men. <laughs> Uh, they've got a really interesting roster. And I, I mean, Miles Turner is still a very good player. He's been in trade rumors since he was born, basically. It's almost shocking that he's still there. He and Buddy Heald both of like, man, it seems like they've been trying to get rid of them for so long. But they're, especially Turner, really good role pieces that, I mean, he could certainly anchor a steady team that could get like the six or seven seed. So I think I think Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, and Miles Turner are fantastic players, and I think that's your top three. And then after that, you've got Buddy Hield, and then after that, you have what I would like to call the Vosrpa, which is value over Suns rotation player, and they've got like <laughs> ten players that I would say right now are better than any player on the Suns outside of the four we've talked about, because like you got Bruce Brown, you've got Andrew Nimhard. You've got Isaiah Jackson. You've got TJ McConnell. They picked up Daniel Tice, you know, who I know you love and you know I love. Yeah. They, so they got Obi Toppin for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know, like, I don't know what Obi Toppin is. I really don't. Like, he is he a basketball player? Is he a good athlete? I really don't know. He's he we no one knows what he is. Um, so they've got all these players. I mean, like, they, they um they've got uh uh uh, Nesmith, you know, who's, yeah, I, I mean, gonna say Aaron Nesmith, he yeah, definitely exactly. belongs on an NBA roster. Right. I mean, you know, a, a great three and he was a really good three and D guy for him last year. I don't know. I'm just really intrigued to see what this team is. Like I said, this team could be horrible or they could be, you know, one of the best teams in the East. I, I, you could, you could, I've got them right now. I've got them as a six seed. Um, yeah, no. I've got them in the playoffs. I'll fight back. I mean, they're, I don't think they'll be horrible unless they have really bad injury luck. I don't think there's a horrible outcome for this team. I think they're going to be good. I mean, they uh, were in the playoffs last year until Halliburton got injured. You exactly. Know? They were really good. Halliburton was so good. Yeah. So, I, 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 yeah, I, I wonder if he's got another. He's kind of like. I'm not. I'm not saying, like, you know how there's always, like, a guy that's like in the MVP conversation, but no one considers him an MVP candidate. Halbert yeah. kind of seems like that guy this year to me. Like he's yeah, going to be like, you know, feels SGA like, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, that's where we're going to, we're going to be with him. Um, okay. All right. Let's, um, let's, you got anything else to say about the Pacers? No, no, I love the pick. You definitely win the award for most fun wildcard team. You're right. <laughs> I, I picked the least one, but I, I knew that going in. You got anything else about the East? Uh, I, not really. I mean, I think, I think, I think we know that Celtics bucks are the cream of the crop. Uh, we're at the two hour mark case. We need to, <laughs> let's get into the West. Yeah. Well, actually I was about to break the podcast and say, is there a possibility that we could resume at a later date and do the West? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. We can absolutely do that. Uh, I think that, that might not be a bad idea. I would imagine, uh, Jake's going to want to split these up anyway. Yeah, uh, I mean, if we're the two-hour mark, we're probably going to exceed three at this point. Yeah, that's probably fair. That's probably fair. Okay, well, yeah, uh, yeah, we will, we will take, uh, we'll, we'll take a break and then uh, get back a little later. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the insane ramblings of me and the uh, of me, Josh the Wise Sage, and the uh, coherent 
coherent ramblings of, of Chase, uh, our good friend and, and basketball analyst. Uh, as always, guys, Phantom is for everyone. Go watch some basketball. Enjoy the season.